0: Hello, and welcome to TNBS, the Thursday Night Bible Study. This study was held on August fifth, two 2010. Tonight we continue our study at Romans, looking at the last nine verses of the sixth chapter. So welcome again. This is TNBS, Volume 2, Session 15. Okay, sixth chapter of Romans. We're going to start with the 15th verse tonight. Now, Paul is once again going to ask the question which he probably is assuming is going to be on some of the minds and hearts of some of the Christians in Rome. In fact, if you remember back in, in verse 1 of the 6th chapter, Paul asked the somewhat theoretical question, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? This goes back in reference to uh, verse 20 of the 5th chapter where he says, And the law came in the transgressions might increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And so he's saying... Okay, if grace bounds all the more when we sin, why shouldn't we just sin more? And as we talked about last week, that there was actually a sect that came across the Christian faith back around the 1600s, I think it was, or 1400s, somewhere along in there, antinomianism, which basically said, we as Christians under the grace of God, since we come under the grace of God, then we don't have any moral law. And so basically, we can just do what we want to, because the grace of God is going to cover all of our sins. And probably one of the, as I mentioned, one of the most famous people of that belief was called the the Mad Monk or Rasputin back in the 1800s in Russia. Uh, He had kind of that philosophy where he was a very religious man, but he also did whatever he darn well pleased with his body. (laughs) (laughs) He was kind of a guy, but anyway, it was the same type of belief that you can just do whatever you want to because God's grace will cover it. And Paul says, "No, no, no, that's not the right way. You, that's not the way we should be thinking." And he goes on and spells out in theological terms exactly why we as Christians should not feel that way. Now he makes, he basically asks that same question again, looking at uh, look at verse fourteen of the sixth chapter. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. He's talked about grace again, so he comes back in, in verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because that we are not under the law, but under grace? So he brings this question up about again, and he's going to answer it again in a slightly different way. In the first 14 verses, he goes back to answer that antinomianism thought, the, the fact that we can sin as much as we want to because God's grace covers it, using kind of a theological term where he talks about the fact that that we have been unified with Christ in baptism. And where Christ has died to sin, then we have died to sin. And where Christ was resurrected into eternal life, we have been resurrected into eternal life. And to where we have been freed from sin. And look at verse 7 of the the 6th chapter, where we read, For he who has died is freed from sin. And the word freed there is... Almost every other place in the New Testament translated as, as justified, or being declared not guilty, and so we have been freed from sin because we have been died to sin. Just just as death frees us from physical life, once we dead we can't go back to physical life. Then Paul is saying we have died to sin, and once we have died to sin, we shouldn't go back to sin. We're no longer under sin's power. No longer under sin's. Uh, we no longer have to obey sin. We're not in obedience to sin anymore because we have died to sin. In the same way that Christ died for us. So, that, so now he's going to address it using an illustration that's a little bit more practical, a little bit more human in more human terms than his theological terms. When he comes back in verse 15, when they say, What well, then shall we sin? Because we're not under the law, but under grace. And he goes on to say, No, no, you, that, that shouldn't be. And the example he's going to use is something that's very familiar to the church at Rome. He's going to use the example of slavery. Now in Rome there were probably, it's been, I've heard various estimates of even being equal or probably more slaves than were citizens in Rome. So the church at Rome not only would be very familiar with slavery and the concept of slavery, but they probably there were many members of the church in Rome that were slaves. That would be not be unusual. So he's going to use this, this concept of slavery to, disc, to again talk about the fact that we should not continue in sin. And that's what he's going to do in these next verses. Verse 16, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? Paul says, When you are in obedience to someone, you are, in essence, a slave of them or a slave to them. He says, And when you are in obedience to sin, when you are obeying sin, when you're giving in to sin, when you yield in to the temptation to do something ungodly, he says, You are, in essence, become a slave of sin. He says, And that's going to lead to death. He said, but you, talking about the Christians, you who have died to sin, he's talked about, you have been, who have been buried with Christ in baptism, he talks about in the third and fourth verse of the sixth chapter, you who have been declared not guilty by God, you who have had the death of Christ in payment for your sin, he said, so you're no longer in obedience to sin, you're no longer a slave of sin, you're dead to sin. You, in essence, should be in obedience to Christ. In other words, you should be a slave of righteousness which leads to life. Obedience to sin, slave to sin, leads to death. Obedience to righteousness, obedience to slave of Christ, leads to life. This is the point he's trying to make here. And he's going to make this point twice. He's going to repeat it a little bit further down. Verse 17, But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching which you were were committing. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So Paul is grateful that the Romans... Christians in the church at Rome are no longer slaves to sin because they have been obedient to Christ through the teachings of the gospel. Now remember, we don't have the, they didn't have the scripture. Don't know if they had any of Paul's letters. My guess would probably be not. They had the traditions and the teachings of Paul which maybe have come through such people as possibly uh, Phoebe who we think was the same Phoebe in Rome as it was that Paul ran across when, in his missionary journeys. But they didn't have the scriptures. But because of these teachings, because of the gospel, which Paul talks about over in the first chapter of Romans, because of the gospel and the power of the gospel, these Christians have, have come to know Christ. They have come to accept Christ. They have come to believe in Christ in faith. They have come to, to accept his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross as payment for their sins. And so they are no longer slaves to sin. They're now slaves to righteousness. So Paul is grateful for that. But thanks be to God that, through, that though you were slaves to sin, you are no longer. You having been freed from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. And he goes on in verse 19. He says, Now I'm speaking in human terms here. He's talking, he's again telling them, I'm speaking about slavery in human terms. Because of your weakness of the flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness. So now, present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Now, Paul explained that he was using human terms to make his point here. Previously, they were slaves to sin, presenting their bodies to impurity and ungodliness. Go back and look at verse uh, chapter 1, oh, verse around verse 19 or so, something like that, and he talks about what happens when people no longer acknowledge God and no longer obey God, and they, and they yield to their own desires, they yield to their own impulses when they were slaves to sin, and they presented their bodies, they presented their lives into ungodliness and unrighteousness. There's a whole list of 23, 22, 23-something 23 things which results in someone who has no longer acknowledged God as God and has no longer, no longer give God his proper place and yield unto their own desires. And Paul makes a list in that first chapter. He says, that's what, you, that's what happened. That's what you did when you were slaves to sin. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity, and what happened is you you presented your bodies and your your minds to impurity and and to ungodliness and to sin, and that led to more sin and to more sin and to more sin. But now they are slaves to righteousness. So listen, when you were obedient unto sin and slaves to sin and you gave your life over to all this impurity and unrighteousness and ungodliness, okay, But now you're slaves to righteousness. You should be in obedience to Christ. So once again, you should give your bodies, your minds, your lives over to godly things, to righteous things. Because as you sin, it leads to more sin, it leads to more sin. As you live for righteousness and goodness and godliness, that leads to more righteousness, godliness, which leads to sanctification. That's the point he's making here. It's also interesting that he kind of compares sin and obedience as being kind of almost opposites here. Sin leads to death, but obedience leads to righteousness. Obedience to Christ. And he says, our bodies. And this is a repeat of what he says back up in uh, verse 13 of this same chapter. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but, but present your, your body as, as, as instruments of righteousness, not unrighteousness. Because we now are slaves of Christ. We are now in obedience to Christ which leads to sanctification. And he's going to mention that again in a couple of verses, and we'll get more into that definition of that word. Okay, verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But now, verse 21, therefore what benefit were you deriving from the things of which you were now ashamed for the outcome of those things in death? When they were slaves of sin, they were earning the result of such a life which was death. But now that they have been freed, and the word there is... <laughs> and I should have known, I should not have gotten in so much Greek with Will and Rob here. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I know I'm going to get myself in trouble. I'm just going to give it the, the, the keel pronunciation here. Elethero, that's the word he uses for freed. Now, If you notice, Paul uses freed three, four, three, four, three times. He uses it in verse 7, he uses it in verse 18, and he uses it in verse 20. And it says freed from sin. In verse 7, he says, He who has died is freed from sin. In verse 18, And having been freed from sin. And in verse uh, 20, You are free in regard to righteousness. And in verse 21, Therefore it benefits you rather the things which you are now ashamed for. Excuse me, 22, but now having been freed from sin. So he uses this term freed from sin and freed a lot of different ways. And in English, it's the same. In Greek, it's not. In verse 7, he says, Because of our unity with Christ in death, and, uh, and our association with Christ, when he died for sin, he died for our sins. And because of that, we are freed from sin. We have been justified. We are freed from the penalty of sin. We are freed from the, from the death that sin causes. That's what the word freed means there. In these other instances, when he uses the different Greek word for free, when he says, for example, in verse 18, having been freed from sin and in verse 22, but now having been freed from sin, there he is using this elethoro, which basically means to be liberated. To be liberated or to, to be released from the power of. Slightly different definition. Slightly different meaning. Where one. It is God that has been justified us and no longer holding us accountable for the penalty of sin because of Christ's death. In verse 7 and in verses 18 and 22, 23, he's talking about we are freed from sin. We've been liberated from sin because of the action of Christ and because of our acceptance and faith in Him. We've been liberated from the power of sin. We can refuse sin. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able we can refuse temptation. We can. Because of Christ's death, burial and resurrection. Sin has been defeated. The power of sin has been defeated. We have been freed from the we have been liberated from the power of sin. That's what he's saying here. Same word Greek same English word freed, but different meanings. And that's sometimes that's that's why I sometimes really get into the Greek, because it really does Change it doesn't really change the meaning, okay? Because we're free from sin, okay? But in one case we've been we're freed from the penalty of sin. In this case, we're freed from the power of sin. Uh, and that's why I never will forget uh, George Ballantyne when I went up with the first pastor I had who really got me into Greek. When he made the comment, he said, "Reading the New Testament in Greek versus reading it in English is like the difference between black and white and color TV." You know, the Greek just brings so much more meaning to it than just the English. And like we ran across, I forgot what word it was last week, I think, well, there there wasn't an English equivalent. I mean, it's a Greek word that you can't translate into English. You can maybe translate it into a paragraph of English (laughs) trying to explain it. But, you know, it's just just the way the Greek is. Same Same freed, but with different meanings. Okay. But now that they have been freed, liberated from sin... And have become slaves of God, we now have earned the results of that right living righteously, or have earned the results of, of sanctification. But now having been verse twenty two, but now having been freed from sin and a slave to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome of eternal life. When you were slaves to sin, you gained the benefit of that life. Looking back up in verse nineteen, for just as you presented your members resulting in purity, so now I present your members as slaves of righteousness. Uh, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You were liberated, liberated from righteousness when you were in sin. You were liberated, liberated from the power of righteousness, same Greek word, free, when you were in sin. But now that you're in Christ, you're liberated from sin and the power of sin. And therefore, what benefit were you deriving from the things in which you used to do? The benefit of death. So what benefit do you derive now that you're no longer a slave to sin, but you're a slave to Christ? You derived the benefit when you're a slave to sin. So what benefit do you, do you derive when you're a slave to Christ? Slave of sin, the benefit is death. Slave of Christ, the benefit is sanctification. And the Greek word there is agios, agiosmos. That sounds close enough. Agiosmos, which basically means Holiness. Holiness. It means set-apartness. When we enter into this relationship with God through Christ, we no longer have a life of sin. We have a life of righteousness, of sanctification. And as he talked about earlier, where one sin led to another sin led to another sin which led into death, and living for Christ leads into acts of righteousness, which leads into other acts of righteousness, which leads into sanctification, which, which leads us to become holy which leads us to become separated unto God. That's what he's saying here. We no longer live for sin, we now live for Christ. He, he makes that point back in the first part of this chapter when he says, just as Christ was raised to live unto God, we are raised to live unto God. When he, talk, when he makes the correlation between our baptism and Christ's baptism. And the result is sanctification. Results, the result is, is being holy of being set apart, of being different, of being changed. Verse 6, verse of the 6th chapter, he says, the old life was crucified with Christ. I'm dead to sin. I've been changed. I'm now sanctified. I'm now justified. I am now righteous. Woo, those are good theological words. You know, <laughs> We throw in perpetuation, we'll have them all right there. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> We, have, we, are, we are now sanctified. Agiosmos. We're we are set apart to live for God. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. He summed it all up right there. He said that same thing three times now. The wages of sin. <laughs> the Greek word for wages. <laughs> Opsonion, which means to buy meat. Literal translation. <laughs> um, Metaphorically speaking, <laughs> the Greek word was used. Well, it was used to buy meat, but it, it came to mean a soldier's wage or it came to mean a wage that you earned. So, the, so you'd have the ability to buy meat, basically. But the, I thought it was interesting. The Greek word actually means to buy meat. The wages of sin is death. And he's talked about that at least three times, I think, already in this chapter. When we're alive unto sin, we earn death. When we died to sin, We've escaped that. So the wages of sin is death. But the gift, the free gift of God is eternal life. Charisma. You ever heard of charismatic? The charismatic movement? Or the charismatic thoughts? That comes from this same word, charisma, which means grace, which means gift of grace. Grace. And if it's a gift of grace, it is not something that we have earned. It's a gift. When we sin, we earn death. That's the wages for our sins. But through Jesus Christ and our faith in Him, by grace, we have received the gift, the grace gift of God, the charisma Which is eternal life. That's what Paul is saying here. That's what he's trying to get across to the Roman Christians. He's already talked about faith and being justified because of what Christ did and us having faith in that. He's already talked about that it was faith that saved Abraham. It wasn't obedience, it was faith. That was attributed to Abraham as righteousness in the fourth chapter in the fifth chapter he talked about through Adam's sin death came into the world through the one man Adam who died death came into the world through sin through the one man Christ who died righteousness came into the world we're all a subject to Adam's sin by being Adam which literally means man we are of the human race But coming under the gift of Christ's righteousness is our choice. 6-6, the old life was crucified with Christ. I am dead to sin. We are dead to sin. You are dead to sin. And we are freed from the penalty of that sin, which is death. By being in obedience to Christ and righteousness, by the charisma, by the grace gift of God, is eternal life. That's what we have. Look at the whole chapter. By our identity with Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, we have died to sin in its power. We are no longer under sin's control. We are no longer slaves to sin. And therefore, we can refuse to obey sin. By accepting Christ's death as payment for our sin, we are no longer under the debt of Adam's sin, which was death. It's been paid the justness justness justice what kind of word is that justness the justice the justness j u s t n e s s justness, justness? I think so. That's right. all right so, uh, we'll use it <laughs> <laughs> the justness of god <laughs> the justice of god requires a death for sin that was paid by christ and by God accepting that death we are justified from our sin because of the death of Christ and just as Christ was resurrected into eternal life we are resurrected into eternal life by accepting Christ's death as payment for our sin we're no longer under the debt of sin's adam it has been paid we have been freed dikatimos we have been freed we have been freed by justification of god we have been freed liberated from we are slaves to that which we obey interesting phrase you can think about that one and of course paul over and over again calls himself dulos o christos the slave of christ and the same word there is used as slave dulos we should present our bodies and live as instruments of righteousness which will result in our sanctification and the benefit of that sanctification holiness or set-apartness is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. Listen. The charisma tone, Theo. You know what Theo is? is. Hmm? God. The, the charisma tone, Theo. Zo or Zoe. You know Zoe has you ever seen? Zoe Zoe? Life. Life. Aionimos in Christos. Isus. Tog Kirio Inone. That's what the Greek says. The wages of sin is death, but the charismaton theu Zo aionios. In Christos, Jesus, to Kyrios Inon. Literally, the charisma, the, the, the grace gift of God. Life eternal in Christ Jesus, the Lord of us. We are freed from sin to live in holiness. Pray with me. Father God, we can do nothing but come before you in gratitude, in thankfulness, in praise. For Lord, what you have done for us, Jesus, the sacrifice that you have paid for us, the benefit that we have from that sacrifice, Is just almost too much to grasp. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for a love that loved us so much that you were willing to die for us so that we wouldn't have to. Oh God, may we live. A life that is dead to sin. A life that is a slave of Christ in obedience. A life that gives our bodies, our minds, all of us, to you for acts of righteousness. So that we can have the benefit and The word Paul uses there literally means fruit. So that we can have the fruit of that kind of life. Which is sanctification, holiness. And an eternal life with our God. Oh Father, forgive us. When we turn back to the old ways. When when we give in to sin. Forgive us. And remind us once again that we are no longer under sin's power. Help us to look to you in every way, in every day. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. For this is my prayer in and through the name of Jesus Christ, your Son my Savior and my Lord and my very bestest friend. Amen and amen. Thank you for being with us tonight and I hope you have been enjoying our study of Romans. You can reach me with comments, suggestions, or questions at my email address, davidlkeel at gmail.com. Next week we'll continue our study, picking it up with the seventh chapter of Romans. So until then... It is my prayer that as we go through our daily lives that we will really walk in the knowledge that we have been freed and redeemed from the penalty and the wages of sin. God bless you.